This is Microdosing with Seifman's short podcast on demystifying the business of psychedelics. Welcome to episode two, the path to profitability, governance, regulation, capital, and IP with our host, Zeifman's partner, Larry Zeifman. Enjoy. I'm Larry Zeifman, and welcome to Microdosing with Zeifman's. Today, we have the honor and privilege of having two great guests, Dot Shibiro of Red Light Holland and Jeff Merck of Airden Burles. And I'm going to let each of them introduce themselves. Todd, why don't you go first? Yes, thank you so much, uh, Larry. We really appreciate being here. I say we, representing the, uh, the, the company. It's not, it's not, there's not two of me. And I'm the CEO of Red Light Holland. We are a publicly traded company on the CSE under the ticker symbol TRIP, T-R-I-P. We've been trading now for about two months. Uh, lots of volume in the stock, which is great. Liquidity for those investors who sort of like that as well. Uh, but ultimately, we're here for um, really a long-term vision and growing this vision as rapidly as we can. And being a part of the psychedelic sector where we're doing magic truffles, doing meaning we're setting up a facility. Our intentions obviously are to grow and then sell magic truffles in a microdose fashion to the smart shops and on an online platform. Uh, in a very responsible use manner. And as we start to see perhaps these decriminalization and legalization movements, we hope that Red Light Hauling can expand to other markets in the near-term future. Terrific, thanks. And Jeff? Great, thank you very much for having me today, Larry. Uh, my name is Jeff Merck. I am the co-practice group leader of the Capital Markets Group at Aaron Burles in Toronto. Aaron Burles is a, is a law firm focused on doing a variety of work, both domestically and internationally, about 180 professionals working on all sorts of business law matter. When it comes to the psychedelic space, we have a number of clients in the space and are helping them with all of their needs uh, from corporate work, tax work, real estate, employment, really everything that these businesses need in order to get themselves up and running. Great. Let's jump right in. Let's start with Jeff. And I'm going to ask, Jeff, how do you define the business of psychedelics? So I think when we're looking at psychedelics and companies in the psychedelic industry, there's a, a few different things, important criteria or components to their business that we would look at. Really, the first two are whether it's a hallucinogenic psychedelic or non-hallucinogenic psychedelic, and then how those fit within really one of four key verticals that we see uh, our clients lining up in. Those verticals are really sort of a, a pharmaceutical type company. So doing lots of R&D around developing new molecules or refining molecules or delivery systems. Number two would be a clinic type model. So whether it's say a ketamine clinic or another type of um, therapeutic type clinic. Third would be a nutraceutical type company. So companies working with maybe truffles, for example, some of the various um, funguses would also fall in that, in that category. And then the fourth vertical that we see are, is really sort of a tourism type business where there is psychedelic tourism taking place, maybe creating experiences in various jurisdictions where psychedelics are either illegal or at least non-regulated. And uh, Todd? Uh, very well said, Jeff. And, and clearly, you know, with Red Light Holland, our focus is recreational first. Recreationally, as I said earlier, we can develop a product and get it in smart shops immediately. And we feel very comfortable as a company that's publicly traded for, you know, our shareholder value to show them that the path to profitability and revenues can be very real. Uh, with that being said, we do have a scientific and innovation arm. Uh, it's called Scarlet Lily. And so much like Jeff said, there's a lot that's going to go into the science and medical and research. And we really want to be sort of a small part of that process because of what we feel are the health benefits. We're faced with sort of this mental health crisis right now going on in the world. 
And we believe, especially with psilocybin, that we want to be a part of change and we want to be a part of proving out the benefits. If our science and medical division, we have some scientists on board working with us now, uh, can do their part and if we can get involved with clinical trials or observational trials, there is a great path there as well. Thanks, Todd. So uh, I'm going to stick with Todd and I'm going to ask you uh, first, uh, what do you think is going to propel the liberalization and regulation around psychedelics? An amazing question. Social movements are so powerful these days. We as a company at Red Light Holland feel like we're just sort of getting the brand out there, doing it legally. We'll watch these powerful movements make change and then we can bring a brand into the markets as they open up. And I think we're going to see it sooner rather than later. Cannabis definitely paved the way for it, but these social movements are far more reaching and far more expeditious than nature for governments who are forced to listen. Okay. Uh, Jeff, in light of the recent Therapsil decision uh, by the federal government, uh, in your opinion, what will propel uh, liberalization and regulation around psychedelics? Um, in Canada, I think there's going to be a, a few things that really kind of drive the medicinal um, availability of these psychedelic substances for, pe- for people within Canada. Um, maybe starting with the, the Therapsil decision and really the Section 56 uh, of the CDSA uh, exemption on which Therapso was able to, to get that relief for its, for its four terminally ill patients. Um, I think there could be a, a possibility of additional um, exemptions being granted under Section 56 of the CDSA, particularly on medical or scientific or perhaps um, public interest kind of grounds. So I think the Therapso decision is kind of uh, at least some early indication of our current federal government's uh, position on the potential use of these substances um, on human rights or, or, or public interest kind of grounds. Um, on a related note, I think perhaps we could um, we could expand and look to sort of the way the cannabis, medicinal cannabis in particular, uh, was developed the court system within Canada, and that's under uh, Section 7 of the Canadian Charter uh, of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, looking at the way that the, that the federal government has been somewhat, at least somewhat receptive, uh, as evidenced by Therapsil about this kind of um, therapeutic benefit of these substances, I think maybe we could find some um, some potential developments through our court system that way. Um, also, potentially Health Canada, um, or or perhaps legislative changes as a whole. If we look to the United States, um, again, Todd mentioned grassroots movements. Those are, I think, a great example of the way that um, society could be changing. But I also look at um, something like the FDA and their, um, the breakthrough therapy designation for MDMA and some other uh, psychedelic substances as an example of how we might see things change within Health Canada potentially, um, or, or just a general acceptance, at least within the, um, the sort of medicinal and therapeutic kind of community for these kind of substances, as again, as a way to, to create some grassroots support. Um, lastly, if you look internationally, there are some jurisdictions with uh, different approaches. I'm not so sure that will be influential in, in the Canadian context, um, but it could it could lead to some suggestion of perhaps decriminalization um, or other kinds of um, research and other things that may lead to uh, a medicinal uh, loosening of, of restrictions around medicinal use of psychedelic products. Let's go back to Jeff, and I'm going to ask, uh, what do you anticipate we'll see companies do with psychedelic substances that can be patented? We're seeing already seeing a lot of our clients looking to products that they're patenting. There seems to be a few different things, and it, it sort of goes back to the to the kind of the four buckets I talked about, and really the kind of that that pharma bucket. And 
in the in that particular um, sort of vertical psychedelic sort of sub vertical I guess um, a lot of, a lot of clients seem to be pushing on really a couple different things and, and it seems to be kind of focused on either the production or um, or alteration or enhancement of uh, existing molecules so 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 substances that already exist and sort of improving them and looking for patented in the same way a pharma company might patent um, medicine and molecules and then the second is really around uh, delivery systems so you know, if it's transdermal, it's nasal, it's, it's, it's really developing uh, methods and methodologies and ways for these products to be delivered really through a variety of different medium in, in an effective and consistent kind of dosage. We're, those, are, those are two areas where we, see, uh, where we see our clients doing a lot of uh, kind of IP-focused work. Not so much, unlike maybe Red Light Hollywood, which, which I'm sure Todd will talk about, a lot of them, maybe some of the clinics are focused more on kind of branding, but certainly as it relates to patents and that pure IP patent protection. It, it, it's around the formulation of molecules and the formulation of delivery systems. Todd? Yeah, I, I mean, I love, I, 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 could talk to, I could talk to Jeff for hours. Um, <laughs> I, I love everything you're saying. And, and it's interesting, though, you know, we are very careful in the Netherlands because uh, you can't manipulate the truffle. It's got to be in its unprocessed, wet, raw form. With that being said, what we hope to achieve and what we're seeing with other companies with our science and sort of innovation division is that one day we would like to achieve getting a lab, perhaps trying to get a narcotics license, when then you could look to extract, you could look to create maybe powder form uh, capsules. Right now that's totally illegal, but down the road, do we think it'll open up? That's what we're hoping for. And as well, that helps with standardization. Are we, are we a nutraceutical company? Are we a uh, you know, health and wellness company? Are we a, a legal microdose company? I would like to hope to say one day that we fall under that entire category. Talking about branding, uh, Todd, you already have a well-known brand. What was your strategy for getting that brand out there? <laughs> I'm so candid that maybe I should be careful, but you know, when you, when you think of, when you think of the red light district, it's sex appeal. Okay. So I, I knew what I was going with that sort of mentality. And, and listen, I come from a media background. I come from a rock and roll world. And if I started to name my company, something more pharmaceuticals or something medical, I think people would re recognize that that didn't fit the Todd Shapiro brand. And so even though I'm involved and I got young children and, you know, happily married, uh, you know, and, and have these, you know, beautiful young kids, we thought that the red light angle would work well because it, it is really well known all over. The uh, and the other thing, though, you know, red light does stand for if you if you dig deep enough, there's some articles that talk about it being promoting legalization of, of really, let's be honest, prostitution, which helps end stigmas and helps with protection and, and laws and, and even tax dollars. Again, like I say. So, you know, if you dig deep enough, like the, the legal, whether you're for or against legalization of prostitution, you know, that's what red light also shows. And, and if you can end that stigma and protect people for their choices, well, you know, that's what we want to do in the psilocybin and psychedelic world as well. Okay, let's, um, let's move to the governance and compliance uh, side. This tends to be a, a pet topic for me, having followed the cannabis space and what we've seen on that side. Jeff? Uh, what areas of governance and compliance will be challenges in the industry and how can those challenges be overcome? Yeah, sure. When it comes to governance and compliance, I think there's a few different things that you need to think about. And really one will be at kind of a corporate level and sort of a corporate governance kind of lens. And, and so thinking of the, the kind of people you're putting in your boardroom and putting in your C-suite, I think will be as important for this kind of company as for lots of different kinds of emerging companies in emerging jurisdictions. So I'll, maybe I'll touch on, on the, the kind of boardroom governance aspect first and then maybe 
throw it back to Todd because he's got a, he's got a boardroom filled with some very impressive people and, and would love to hear his experience about mm-hmm. how he filled it and then maybe come back to the, the kind of compliance and regulation part. So I think making sure that you have skilled people, skilled and reputable people with experience in all sort of areas where a public company really needs that experience and where in the C-suite where people really need particular skill sets. So an experienced chairperson, a strong audit committee chair, uh, a strong governance committee chair. And then when you move to the, to the C-suite, an experienced CEO, someone with a particular skill set, and then round it out through maybe some of the other C-level positions. You know, a, a strong CFO with good public company experience who's maybe been through capital raisings or M&A transactions, a chief operating officer who's very focused on sort of operations. I think those kind of things in terms of governance would be great. Todd definitely has an incredible board advisor and management group. So would pass to him to maybe fill out with some practical and how, how he filled his, uh, th- those various roles within his organization. Yeah, definitely appreciate that. We're, we're very lucky to have some very strong individuals who are all sort of successful within their own sectors, which is interesting. And we were, we were very calculated on who we put together as a team. The reason being is, you know, there will be sort of a microscope on this new industry. And, and clearly, corporate governance is, is really important to us. Uh, and I'm a director as well on the board of Red Light Holland. Uh, and our board of directors is extremely strong. And of course, our council behind us is very strong as well. Uh, although, you know, we, we could use Jeff and his team. Maybe <laughs> we keep that along this famously. See, this is, uh, this is the legend. This is the legend. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, listen, we're very careful from anything from taking board minutes, obviously, to, to establishing that corporate governance within uh, audit committees and compensation committees, et cetera. With that being said, I will say we're also, I think, being fair to our shareholders by running very lean right now. So, you know, we don't have a COO right now. I am sort of a new CEO in the space. And, and respectfully, I, I really appreciate what Jeff said. You want someone with a lot of experience, which is why we put Bruce Linton on as the chair of our advisory board. So anytime I have these new questions, I just call Bruce up. He gets back to me hopefully within 10, 15 minutes. I'm the first one to say that we got to be coachable, not only me as a CEO, but us as a sector. And, and let's make sure that all the company, companies are, are sort of working together because you don't want any sort of sore spots on it right now. Well, I, I can't tell you how happy I am to hear that sort of stuff because, you know, as, we, as I say, uh, it, it, that hasn't necessarily been the model that we've been seeing in, um, in similar spaces of late. And as an auditor, um, it is very comforting always to see strong corporate governance structures uh, in our clients and in general in the, in, in the space. I'll, I'll just jump in here too, even sorry, uh, Larry, just no, please, to, to Todd. talk about even, even our, even as a product, right? We're, in the Netherlands right now, currently truffles can be sold in sort of 30 gram packages where people can really have like these, you know, deep experiences. And, and, and we're being very careful about that. That's why we're selling it in a microdose only for now. Um, and, and we'll be careful what we can put on our box as we produce it in terms of claims. But usage is, is we just want people to have you know, very little, you know, this microdose effect, just really get used to it. Um, we're, we're creating a VR, a virtual reality, uh, uh, right around the experience for the consumer, meaning that in the stores that we anticipate having our products in, in smart shops, we're going to have a virtual reality headset that's being developed where you can put your mind into, into what a microdose feels like it. So if you, if you, if you don't like that experience in the virtual reality, then you know, don't buy our product because maybe it's not for you because it obviously is a bit mind altering. 
let's go to the, my next question, which is, uh, do you see players in the space working together for the advancement of the industry? And I'm going to go to uh, Todd first. I hope so. I, I'm all about, <laughs> I, I talk about it, psychedelics, if you study the drugs themselves, they really, anecdotally, most people always say what I said earlier, it's about no ego. It's about connecting with the environment around you and their purpose drugs. You've got to you know, have a purpose and a reason and then, and then hopefully a result. And a lot of that result is, is living in the moment and being around people and enjoying those experiences. And I hope the companies can, can look to doing that together. Obviously, it's going to be a lot of competition, and I'm sure we're going to see people pop up in the recreational market, even in the, in the Netherlands. I'm sure they're going to do that, which, by the way, I'm going to build a brand stronger than theirs. But you know what? <laughs> Any, anything, anything we can do to, to at least be able to show what we hope we can prove out. I keep going back to that. I can't make the medical claims yet. But to helping human beings, well, then we'd be silly not to work together and get along because there's a mental health crisis going on right now in this world. We need to bring people together. And, and I really wholeheartedly, granted I'm capitalistic, I want our company to make money, but I wholeheartedly hope we can work together to make change and to do well by, by humans everywhere. I really mean that. Thanks. Uh, Jeff, what do you think? I agree with, with Todd and the idea of um, collaboration within the industry. And I think I appreciate that it, it's more formalized than the kind of thing that Todd's talking about. I think there's a good level of friendly competition. There's general support amongst participants in the sector, particularly around things like Todd mentioned, like around research and being able to establish those medical claims. It's still, I think, a small enough and, and burgeoning enough industry where a lot of collaboration amongst participants within the industry, whether it's medicinal, recreational, whether you're doing you know, pharma work, whether you're clinical work, nutraceutical work, tourism type work, whatever it is you're doing, I think there's that general sort of, we need to get this out to the masses. And the best way for us to do that is, is almost as a collective. And then we'll have our individual strengths and our individual differences. Let's move to closing thoughts. And I'm going to ask Jeff, if you've got any thoughts on where you see the industry going and your general thought on the space. From a variety of different perspectives, I think it's important to recognize that although the psychedelics sector, there are various aspects and nuances that Within the, the psychedelics sector, there are really, at least at this particular time, what I would describe as those, those four verticals, so pharma, clinical, nutraceuticals, and, and, and tourism. And I think it's important to recognize that probably most companies within that group, and Todd, Todd's company is a great example, is most won't fit into one particular bucket, but those general buckets all have their own, and this is the lawyer part talking, all have um, their own nuances and their own specific requirements that participants need to be aware of when they're entering the space. There's some overarching themes between, between the four of them in terms of Canadian and to some extent international regulation as well. But being aware of which kind of sub-vertical you're working in or looking at investing in or auditing or um, participating in is, is really important because there are, there's a wide variety of differences um, amongst them. I think it's, it's an exciting and interesting space. I think it has the opportunity to do, do both um, uh, a social good in the sense that there are a lot of at least preliminary kinds of studies, indications that suggest that there are potentially a lot of um, really important benefits for a lot of people who are suffering, deeply suffering um, from a lot of different uh, ailments. Todd, Todd touched on a couple, um, PTSD, depression, um, pain. There are, there seems to be at least at a preliminary level, a myriad of potential um, good for these kinds of companies to, to bring about in the world, as well as, as Todd suggested, making pe people earning a living and making money along the way. Um, and I don't think those two need to, are um, necessarily are conflicting. I think that the goals um, in many cases are, are overlapping and identical. And I think that continuing to see the 
development of the industry, development around um, corporate governance, technology, delivery systems, and research will be a great thing to be a part of. And happy and proud that Urban Burles was, was happy for us, to, myself and some of my partners and, and associates, to participate in and really engage in, in a meaningful way. Todd? Jeff says it so well. And the truth is this, we need to inform and educate as much as possible. And I think it's up to every company in the space to do that. And, you know, whether you're a ketamine clinic, inform and educate. What is that? You know, if you're doing these, you know, like synthesis is doing and guided therapy and retreats, well, inform and educate. If you're doing what Red Light Holland's doing, let's inform and educate. One of the biggest, you know, hopefully potentially anti-anxiety medications in the world out there that Big Pharma buys you out for billions of dollars. While you do that process, inform and educate. Sounds good. Thank you to both of you, to Jeff, to Todd, for your, uh, your participation today. This has been enlightening and insightful, and, and I appreciate all your comments. And to our audience, thank you for joining us for another episode of Microdosing with Zeifmans. You've been listening to Microdosing with Zeifmans. Join us for our next episode, Going Public, How to Prepare and What You Need to Know, with guests Anna Sarin, Director of Listings at the CSE, and Bill O'Hara, Managing Director of Institutional Equity Sales at Haywood Securities.